0: The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Car Show, Frank Latuca, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Jim Wright, Will Harris, and Craig. Politics, politics! Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for December 2nd, 2020. My name is Justin Robert Young. We're going to look a little bit over the horizon today. Indeed, we gaze past 2020, which is something we're all very excited to do. And we look toward the Georgia Senate runoff. What will determine... The fate of the Senate. Speaking of the Senate, a bipartisan cadre of senators have now released their COVID relief bill proposal. We know Pelosi's bill in the House is too hot. And the skinny bill in the Senate from the Republicans is too cold. Is this just right? No, but we'll talk about it anyway, because it might have some kind of ramifications. I probably should do better teases. Here's a great tease. You're going to want to stay to the end of this podcast because I've united the clans. Yeah. It's always great when you can run into like-minded people in this very desolate and lonely world of podcasting. For although I know that thousands of you are listening to this eventually, while I am producing it, I am but a lonely man staring into my Adobe Audition window, making sure that my waveforms are not out of whack. So when you get to run in, To really cool, like-minded people, specifically in the world of politics, which we have a little bit of an off-kilter perspective. Uh, Any of us are necessarily red-blue advocacy people. Boy, is it a treat. And so I've had Andrew Heaton come on out here to Oakland so we can be on the show week after week after week. I've been turned on to Jen Briney by one of you, a listener. Let me know that Congressional Dish is the podcast to listen to when talking about those chambers. We had her on. Y'all loved it. And now, for the first time ever, the three of us together. We don't have a name for it. So if you, if you, if you want to shoot me your name... On, on Twitter, at Justin R. Young. Please do. Me, Heaton, Briney. Coming up a little bit later on this program.
1: Bert! John Ossoff has dedicated his career to fighting injustice. He learned about public service from one of my lifelong heroes, John Lewis. He knows we need a new Voting Rights Act that makes sure every Georgian is treated equally under the law. John's wife, Alicia, is a doctor. He's going to listen to the experts to get this pandemic under control. If we vote like our lives depend on it because they do, we will elect John Ossoff to the United States Senate. I'm John Ossoff,
2: and I approve this message.
0: That is a brand new television ad from... John Ossoff featuring some guy.
2: Yeah, Obama.
0: Obama uh, uh, pitching John Ossoff to Georgia voters. Of course, we are only a little over a month from runoff day, but early voting begins in Georgia on December 14th. And if there's one thing that we know coming out of Election Day... It's that early voting matters, especially if you are a Democrat. We'll get back to the Dems in a second. But as we just heard what one ex-president's pitch is for his party, we have to wonder what a soon-to-be ex-president's pitch will be for his All you have to do is turn on the Twitter machine and you can find Donald Trump continuing to fight his fight against the soon-to-be-one-month-old 2020 election. Pushing claims that it is statistically impossible for Joe Biden to have garnered as many votes as he did. And one of the states for which he claims it would be impossible, is the peach state of Georgia. Indeed, Donald Trump has made no bones about the fact that the Secretary of State in Georgia is now on his S-list. And furthermore, he has come out and shred Governor Brian Camp for not sufficiently putting that Secretary of State in his place. So tweets Big Chungus. Why won't Governor, the hapless Governor of Georgia, use his emergency powers, which can be easily done to overrule his obstinate Secretary of State and do a match of signatures on envelopes? It will be a goldmine of fraud, and we will easily win the state. You've further seen some of this sentiment stoked by people as close to Trump as his crusading band of lawyers specifically Lynn Wood one of Rudy Giuliani's elite hit squad traipsing across the country trying to tip votes he said that it is indeed Perdue and Leffler not putting their voice behind the president that is hurting democracy in America it's apparently enough of an issue that Donald Trump himself has come out and tried to throw some cold water on it. In response to a Newsmax article uh, rehashing a lot of the facts that I just told you now, he writes, The 2020 election was a total scam and we won by a lot and will hopefully overturn the fraudulent results, but we must get out and help David and Kelly, two great people. Otherwise, we are playing right into the hands of some very sick people. I will be in Georgia on Saturday. Indeed, Donald Trump, the 45th president of America, soon to hand the baton like it or not to the 46th, will make his return to the campaign trail since election day to stump for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue in Georgia. But what will he say? How much time will he spend shredding Brian Kemp, shredding the Secretary of State, discussing the fact that he indeed won the election? And how much time will he spend talking about Leffler and Perdue? There is one Donald Trump who is laser focused on getting those two Senate seats back in the red column. It's Junior. Now we
2: take
3: Georgia and then we change the world.
2: That was Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer saying what's next on his agenda. This is Donald Trump Jr. The radical left wants to tear down everything we've accomplished. Defunding the police, destroying private health insurance and dismantling the Supreme Court. They'll take away our Second Amendment rights and make it harder for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves in their own homes. On January 5th, the U.S. Senate is on the line, and my father's accomplishments are on your ballot.
0: Now we take Georgia, and then we change the world.
2: Don't let Chuck Schumer and the radical left succeed. On January 5th, vote Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue for Senate. Oppose the radical left.
0: Vote January 5th for Make no mistake, mistake the if USA the unlikely happens the of this and the Republicans lose control of the Senate, the narrative will be because there is strife between the insurgent MAGA wing of the party and bedrock Republican principles. You cannot get more bedrock than... We vote Republican. <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? That's that's usually the, 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 the beginning and ending of it. Party unity is based around the idea of we vote for this party. We are getting as many of our team over the finish line as possible. There are two winnable races here in a usually red state, and we are going to make sure that that happens. So let's swing on over to the blue side of town because there are a few insurgent organizations of their own that are playing very nice with the larger cause right now. You've got a lot of big national liberal funding and organizing powerhouses that are currently attempting to work their magic in Georgia without playing directly into the hands of the messaging that you just heard echoed by Donald Trump Jr. Specifically, that the radical left is using Georgia as a pawn in their game to remake the world. How on their best behavior are these groups? Well, let's take a look at the Sunshine Movement. If you've never heard of the Sunshine Movement before, they are a climate change advocacy group that has primarily centered around the Green New Deal. Either Raphael Warnock or John Ossoff support the Green New Deal. Well, how does the Sunshine Movement normally treat politicians like that? Here is one of the initial viral videos that made them famous. A parade of children went into Senator Dianne Feinstein's office in San Francisco and presented her with the option to either support the Green New Deal or be yelled at by these migrants.
3: We're gonna go in and share this letter and we're gonna do it all together. Share it in front of Feinstein. We're asking her to vote Vote yes on on the the Green Green New New Deal. deal. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. please.
1: Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some
3: scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around.
1: Well, it's not going to, to Senator, get turned around in 10 years. What we can do is turned around. about this group. is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that.
0: Obviously, the Sunshine Movement is not shy about attacking people on their own side to get their way. That's what they do. It's why they're good at raising money from folks who believe that the entrenched left needs to be disciplined here and again. But in Georgia where there again are two candidates who do not support the Green New Deal, they have been a little bit more lenient. Not only has the Sunshine Movement, according to the New York Times, already raised $386,000 for Warnock and Ossoff, they are not publicly pressuring either on any legislative issues when it comes to climate change. Instead, they are trying to encourage local Georgia voters to vote on climate change reasoning that is far more abstract, like air quality. Says Shante Wolf, who's leading the Sunrise Movement's efforts in the Peach State to the Times, they are, quote, making sure that we localize the Green New Deal in a way that resonates with Southerners. So... As we get ever closer to this runoff, where, by the way, your boy's going to be, going to be in Georgia. Watch all this stuff go down. Where are we? According to two Fox 5 Insider Advantage polls taken on November 17th, the Purdue versus Ossoff race is tied, and Warnock is up one over Leffler, both obviously within the margin of error. Not to make everything about Trump, but if there is must-see TV over the weekend in the world of politics, it's going to be Trump in Georgia this Saturday. Again, the more he talks about being hosed by the state, the further away he's gonna get from energizing that base in the direction that Leffler and Purdue needed. However, and a lot of this comes down to Donald Trump deciding who he is right now. That man is in a metamorphosis. Is he a grieved candidate or is he political kingmaker? If he's a grieved candidate, he's just going to get up there and complain about stuff that he's tweeting, right? He's going to complain about poll watchers and Dominion and bleep blop bloop. But if he's political kingmaker, if he realizes that the rest of his life, he's got tens of millions of people who will listen to him and be directed to vote for the people that he points at, well, he can offer this pitch. Indeed, he was robbed. And the only way to rectify it is by voting for Purdue and Leffler. If that's the trump that exists on Saturday, I would mark it as the beginning of his second act in politics. But then again, Big Chungus being able to see beyond his own instincts is very rarely a winning bet. We've talked a lot on this podcast and my live stream, twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young, about partisan wins. Yeah, sure, the last COVID relief bill that came through was before July 4th, but who needs money or jobs? When you've got partisan wins. Oh, yeah. When you need to go on down to the Domino's to eat food. You don't need any cash. Just flip over that receipt. Say, I am heretofore spending these partisan wins on this pizza. You got to write down which party you're supporting. Because these aren't infinite. All right? But as... Nancy Pelosi, Cocaine Mitch, and the rest of the House and Senate both stand at odds with each other, therefore pointing the fingers and blaming the other side for the reason why there's no COVID relief. The partisan wins continue to rack up, and they seem very popular with America. America loves them, they love a partisan win. You could just go on over to the cable news outlet of your choice that supports your worldview and just roll around in them, dive in them like Scrooge McDuck. But sure, I guess somebody in the government is going to try and help through this once-in-a-century pandemic. And indeed, a bipartisan group of senators yesterday proposed a $908 billion coronavirus stimulus package. A reminder that Nancy Pelosi's negotiated down from $4.2 trillion House bill is a $2.2 trillion offer. Republicans in the Senate, then countered with a $500 billion offer. And so now, we get a $908 billion coronavirus stimulus package. This will give $160 billion to state and local governments to make up for shortfalls. We have $180 billion in additional unemployment, uh 288 billion in the paycheck protection program. We have sixteen billion for vaccine development, distribution, and testing, ten billion for the US Postal Service, five billion for opioid treatment, blah, blah, blah. Nine hundred and eight billion is where we're at. Uh I think this is probably gonna be a non starter. Here is Cocaine Mitch himself. Discussing the future roadmap of coronavirus relief to reporters. Specifically, if using a bipartisan bill in the
1: Senate might help get support in the House. Yeah, we just don't have time to waste time. We have a couple of weeks left here. Obviously, it does require bipartisan support to get out of the Congress, but it requires a presidential signature. And this government is in place for sure for the next month. And I think the place to start is, are we actually making a law or are we just making a point? And I think the way you make a law for sure is you know you've got a presidential signature. So. We'll see how it goes forward. I think the one thing we all agree on, as I said, waiting till next year is not an answer. We need a targeted relief bill, including things that we can agree on. What I'm doing, maybe I wasn't very clear about What I'm doing is talking to Secretary Mnuchin, who's been deputized by the president, to indicate what he's willing to sign. And Leader McCarthy and I went over with Meadows and Mnuchin this morning for sure. What we know, we'll get a presidential signature. That's where we began the discussion at lunch today. I'm sending that proposal uh, to all offices. It's probably been done by now. We're going to get feedback about how our members feel about it and then to determine so, the way forward.
0: What's going to happen? Well, probably nothing. Get ready to stuff those stockings with Partisan Wins. Oh, the Christmas season is upon us. I've decided I'm going to be a Santa hat guy. I'm going to wear a Santa hat as many places as I can. It's on. I'm wearing it a lot. Follow me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of me in a Santa hat. I don't want to be in a Santa hat a lot. I don't know why. It's a weird year, dude. It's a weird year. It's been a great year for your guys to support this show, though. And and, uh, uh, we had a little bit of a correction after the election, which I understand. I, I'm the one who sold it to you guys. Is just follow through election day. A lot of you guys took my advice, and I'm very, very grateful for any kind of support. The fact that you guys went to takepoliticsseriously.com and supported at that three dollar level, supported at that Titanic ten dollar tier, even just got in on the big tent level, got that custom RSS feed, made sure you got these episodes just a little bit early. Well, it means the world. And it continues to because the show rolls on. Indeed, we're gonna be heading to Georgia for this uh, election in January. The battle for the Senate. We're gonna be boots on the ground for it. But also, we wanna move into a different phase of this show because so many of you guys have supported i now have a little bit of a budget to play with and so we're going to be able to travel places and get you guys stories and coverage the likes of which we were never able to before and it only happens if you guys continue to support at takepoliticsseriously.com thank you oh man i can't wait for these vaccines to get out Oh, get back on these, get back on the road a little bit. Continue to make this the most unique political podcast on the planet. Thanks to you. TakePoliticsSeriously.com
1: We might have to uh, ask, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the musical about the first Secretary of Treasury, Hamilton, to write another musical about the first woman Secretary of the Treasury, Yellen. So that's what I'm working on right now, Janet.
0: (laughs) That is Joe Biden announcing Janet Yellen, the former Federal Reserve Chairwoman, as his Secretary of the Treasury, the first woman to hold that office. But we've got a lot of Biden administration picks to discuss. There are enough of them in that we can begin to see the emerging picture of what to expect from the next four years and to do it. I am very proud to announce we all got together and made it happen. Uh, Full disclosure, this was recorded on Friday, so if there is anything uh, that happened in between then and now, understand. Uh, But, here we go, the initial gathering of the minds, Briney, Heaton, Young, let's go. Welcome to the show, one of you has been on a bunch, so we'll, we'll get, we'll get uh, somebody who is uh, making her return that uh, I'm, I'm glad to have on, Jen Briney of the Congressional Dish Podcast, welcome.
3: Thank you for having me back.
0: And of course, Andrew Heaton. I couldn't go more than a month without no. having you back on on the show. So uh, I just I just can't back. quit you, Justin.
2: I just can't I quit you.
0: Uh, there's a, there's a, a a it's a, a Brookback Mountain
2: reference for anybody listening. That's a good 2005 <laughs> gay cowboy film reference that I just I just kicked off the episode with.
0: There is there is a lanky. Tweeted hole in my heart uh, ever <laughs> since Heaton left uh, the Bay Area. Just an uh, Argyle
2: scarecrow season. shaped hole, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, well, I, I figured just having you, I think we've all now done each other's, uh, uh, we've all like, guested on each other's podcasts uh, once, or at least Jen, you've done both of our shows. And the one thing that people just keep saying instinctively. Is you guys all need to do a thing together and so so this is what we are doing it's going to be kind of loose but we're going to run down some of the stuff that has happened in the you know embryonic phase of biden's america and so let's start with this jen uh where are we now in terms of the incoming congress like like what what is it has the landscape shifted in any kind of meaningful way
3: so I checked this morning. Obviously, the Senate's not going to be determined until the Congress starts. But when it comes to the House, the Republicans are doing quite well. So where we stand today, even though it's been two weeks since the election, is it still hasn't been determined. But we know that 222 representatives will be Democrats, which is enough to keep control, and 207 will be Republican We have six races left to be called, two in California. (laughs) I know, isn't that insane? What is happening?
2: Why? Have they also not conceded, or, or is this just regular shenanigans?
3: Okay, so this is, it's really close in the California races, and both are looking good for the Republicans, but that's just like... There's not that much of a margin. So they're making sure they have to count every vote. New York is a different situation. Like these races, they're still at like 80% counted. It's like, what have you been doing for two weeks? But in some of those, it looks pretty sure that the Republicans are going to take all of them in New York. And then there's one race left to call in Iowa, which is ridiculously close. Right now it's within 39 votes. The republican good god race. i know and uh, but there's 10 percent left to count there so who knows where that's gonna go but right now every single race that's left is looking to be republican and if they all hold we're looking at 222 democrat to 213 republican oh, yeah. wicked close in the house
2: so does that my my, my heart always lies with the like internal party outliers like the misfits that caucus and i'm always rooting yeah. for an ascendant kingmaker moderate group to come to the fore is is a situation where it's that tight is this where like the blue dogs come back is the is the you know the, the deciding vote or do they just become even more evil and disdained than they previously were well
3: what's interesting is all the people that were fired in the house so far have been blue dog democrats have been corporate <sighs> democrats and so okay where the Democratic coalition, it's smaller now, but it's a higher percentage of progressives. And then, of course, uh-huh. there's going to be so many more Republicans. So I'm just kind of seeing that overall, Nancy's going to have a much tougher time playing one woman house, which I'm not exactly upset about.
0: No, no, no. This has been a thing that has like gotten your goat for a while, That oh, especially yeah. if you look at things that are, you know, one might say legislation of their careers like we are looking at with this covid stuff it has effectively been a conversation between four people if that I- instead of the entirety of the the house of representatives including and then i guess this is my 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 follow up to that uh is this friendship caucus that came up toward the end of the uh, uh, COVID negotiations that tried to, to push forward or push Nancy toward a, a, a moderate version of COVID bailout that would have had at least a shot to, to have a conversation in the Senate? Are they now someone that Nancy has to listen to in a way that she
2: didn't before when she had a larger lead?
3: The, the problem solvers. Caucus. The problem solvers. That's
2: it. Exactly. I, I like the problem solvers caucus. I assume that they've been just absolutely boot kicked, right?
3: Yeah. 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 I don't yeah, think they're, they're being listened to at all. Because yeah. Nancy like Pelosi... the, the, the,
2: the group of bipartisan, uh, bipartisan pragmatists is not, this is not the time for bipartisan pragmatism to shine.
3: Well, I mean, it should be, though. That's what's so frustrating. Like Nancy Pelosi has decided that somehow getting her ass kicked in this election in the House is a mandate. So uh-huh. when you hear them talk about it, they're like, the Democrats have won. And it's like, wait, no, you've actually cut your lead. And the Democrats like you all got fired. Like, wait, where do you get this? But she thinks her strategy is a winner. They voted already to make her the speaker in the 117th. Like whatever disconnect they had between what the people want and what they're doing is still very much alive. So I don't think they're going to listen to the problem solvers. They're not. I they think they're doing just fine. It's bizarre. Yeah.
2: I, I also, I, I think that the whole concept of mandates is just absolutely bunk because any, any incoming or, or incumbent regime goes, hey, look, we won the election. You have to do what we say. It's like, that's not, I wasn't elected to do that. As the theoretical congressman from Leakey County, Virginia, uh, it's not, it's not <laughs> my job to suddenly go, well, I guess I'm a Democrat now. Like, like, you, don't, like you don't have like everybody switch party registration when that happens. I, I, I think it's complete smoke and mirrors, the concept of mandates.
3: Can, so like can Jim I, Jordan's just all of a sudden gonna be like, yeah, Nancy, whatever you want. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna slowly put his
0: jacket back on, and then you know a single tear rolls yeah. down his massive <laughs> face.
3: He's gonna double up like two masks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can
0: I can I ask you a question, Jen, about the 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 politics around the speakership? Because uh, I I have only a cursory knowledge of it, but it, it has always seemed to me that. Nancy remains in in power there largely because all of her seconds in command are older than her. And there is not anybody in the House that has the kind of momentum that you would need to really unseat somebody that has historic significance as the first female Speaker of the House. But, like, I, I thought when you have like an AOC or other, other members of the squad that are at least very famous that are going to generate a lot of headlines, that maybe that's somebody that could unseat her. But it seems like there was even less of a conversation about it this time than there was in 2018.
3: Yeah, which is kind of bizarre because in 2018, there was some kind of resistance to Nancy staying as the leadership. And so they had these behind closed doors conversations where basically she said in 2022, I'm going to give up the role of the speaker, which she's kind of wishy-washy on now. Um, <laughs> Shocking. Wow. Well, that's yeah. nice.
0: a politician not <laughs> wanting to give up power. Now I've seen everything,
3: especially a politician who seems to want power just for power's sake. Like I don't actually know what she wants to do with her power. I don't think anybody does. So yeah, she's wishy-washy on whether or not she would leave in 2022. But you would think with that experience that there would be more of a challenge just to at least get at least that deal to hold. But this year there was like five minutes of talk about Hakeem Jeffries maybe being a backup. He squashed it immediately and plus he's like dude Pelosi. So it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Um, But then they just very quickly made her speaker very early too, it's usually not done in November. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like a non-issue for this year. It was bizarre. So much of this is bizarre, it doesn't make any sense.
0: W- but yeah, especially because it's like, I don't know how, I mean, like obviously we don't have like uh, grades for how people did, but like it doesn't seem like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that Nancy Pelosi put a lot of time and effort into, doesn't exactly seem to have borne fruit. Like yeah. like the the biggest, loudest thing she did was the impeachment, and like that was essentially a non factor in the election that wound up happening, despite the fact that Biden won,
3: yeah, if anything, the people that I know, like even in the Bay Area on the blue side of everything, were like that impeachment was stupid. I still don't know what we were talking about with the Ukraine issue. It was so out of left field like had you impeached Trump for making money off the presidency, maybe more people would have understood it, but like. Yeah, it wasn't a factor. And if anything, I think it might have hurt them because it was such a weird thing to impeach over. And all the things we're mad about were not a part of
1: it.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, uh, that going on the impeachment with a series of multi-step, I'm going to have to explain this to an average American using six different ways to get there. And if you, if you squint and you look at it, well, technically, it's like, like yeah, I, I think you pretty much just have to like, yeah, he killed a guy. Or he embezzled, or he like you, you like it, it. Basically, you need to be able to explain it in one sentence, or it's not going to stick. You might be able to pass it, but the the the, the public as a whole isn't really going to care unless they're like, oh man, he yeah he he uh, he broke into that that office and stole all those doctors' tapes. I that sounds like a bad thing to do.
3: Well, uh, if you really wanted to remove him from office, the Mueller report set up obstruction of justice with Michael Cohen, which was all about a porn star. So like. Yeah. Yeah, oh, with that one. <laughs> which
2: which would would have been absolutely fitting if what brought down the Trump presidency was a porn star. Like I, I thought that was going to be the natural arc of the sitcom slash like Black Mirror episode that was the Trump administration, and it did it. But I also I I'm, Jenna, I'm not that sure that that many members of Congress actually read the Mueller report. Uh, like I like I read the first five pages and I was like, there's no nudity, there's no like there there's oh there's no God. there's no gunshots. Like I I'm I'm bored, but the I'm mayor. not a member of Congress. And then it did like like then like later on, like a year later. I started poking through it, and I was like, there's actually some stuff on here that nobody talked about, which tells me that very early on, the Mueller report came out, and about half people went, it's complete baller dash. I don't even need to look at it, and the other half went, it's the most salacious thing that's ever existed, I don't need to look at it, and I was like, nah, therein lies the
1: problem.
3: So I did something insane, which is that I went to Kinko's, I actually printed out the Mueller report and brought it with me to Mexico to an all-inclusive, <laughs> that was- <laughs> That was my poolside reading and the first half was really boring because all the Russia stuff, it was basically like, here's some stuff they said he did that he didn't do. But the second half was obstruction of justice and that half got really fun. So had they bothered to make it to the second half, which I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure you're right, they didn't. They had laid out a case for impeachment when it came yeah. to Michael Cohen because it and, had and, nothing and, to do with Russia. It was a crime that the dist- something Southern District of New York is... Um, investigating Michael Cohen is your main witness. And like, have you guys and listened he, he to culpa?
0: Yeah, Oh yeah. No, no, I've, I've, I've not listened to it. No,
3: it's one of my favorite podcasts now because he is just such a hater. I only listen to it for fun. I know it's stupid and I shouldn't like it, but he's just got that New York thing about him. And so just to hear this guy that knows Trump describe him in just the most blunt terms, especially since he won't concede, it's all kinds of fun and he would have made the best witness on the Senate Senate floor like must-see TV and they didn't they didn't do it well
0: I yeah I had had always thought that like when you spend that much time on Mueller and it was obviously wall-to-wall for a year and a half two years uh it kind of reminded me of like a friend who's dating somebody forever but they never get married and yeah. then they like break up, and then like he's dating a waitress, and they're married within two weeks. It's like it's like wait wait that wait that's yeah. what happened. Like the, the 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 fact that Trump made a prank call to Ukraine and said "Hey sizzle chest" to the prime minister or whatever. Like like that's that's what we're going. With. Not the thing that we just spent a year and a half. No. Yeah. That nothing there. Moving. Well, on? like okay, I,
2: I I'll add to that too that like I I think that he he further. Added obstruction of justice onto that when he instructed his uh, his administration not to cooperate with the congressional investigation. I mean, he like they explicitly told them do not cooperate. Like told Bolton, don't cooperate. Or I, I, you know, Bolton might have been out of there by then, but but you know, told everybody don't cooperate. Which you can't you can't do with like a court. Like if, if I were about to go on trial and I was like, I'm just not going to come and I'm going to order everybody that works my company not to come because I think it might be getting me in trouble. You'd be, you would be held in contempt of court and thrown in prison. And the exact same thing happened with Congress and the attitude was, well, but they're, they're out to get him. And it's like, yeah, you know what? If you think the judge is out to get you, you still have to go to court. Like that's just, the prosecutor's definitely out to get you. You still have to go. And so at that point I was like, okay, great. At that point, everybody now has the, the, the data laid out of, of he, 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 you know, thwarted justice and is willfully trying to do it and didn't come up. Didn't, didn't, didn't come up.
0: But I think that also is part of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 I think I, I, I totally agree with you. It's like the, if we circle back to Pelosi's leadership here, like, where are the wins? Where are the things that like you put your power on the table and something got done? Well, the
3: only explanation for that is that she wasn't going for a win. You know, it was all a show to begin with. I don't think they actually wanted to remove him from power because they did have everything they needed in the Mueller report to do it. And the only reason I can think of is that that would just set up, you know, the impeachment merry-go-round. We're talking about the same woman that in 2000, what was it? Six when we gave her the house the first time, immediately said, oh, I'm not impeaching George W. Bush, even though you voted for us because he lied us into a war. So we're talking about the same person here that just doesn't want the removal from office to happen. And she's proved that before. And I think this was just a lot of pressure to impeach Trump. So she did it, but knew that it was a case that was so narrow that it just wasn't gonna happen.
0: It made me really not like people from the State Department. I will say that having watched all like the the hearing stuff like wow, wow is that a specific personality like that works at the State Department. They are very, very serious about having lunch on a company credit card. I, I don't know anybody else uh, who I've seen just one after another like, yes, we are a very, very serious organization and we have lunch professionally around the world
2: yes there, there's to, to give to give it a as an example and i have a lot of respect for the state department but like it is the state department people are, are wide, widely disliked within the government in, in the dc <laughs> sphere like they're they're like they're because they're, they're they're seen as like the the their they're seat is the people who think they're the smarty pants people by people that live in, in the in, in the, the the dc sphere and like to give you an example of kind of the sort of thing that happens, the, the, the State Department um, union was was pushing for a while to get hazard pay because not for getting shot at, which makes total sense, because like we, we start you out the State Department as a diplomat. We send you to some godforsaken desert that believes in communism or magic. We just let you get shot at there. So like totally makes sense there. Right. But we were we were uh, they were they were advocating we deserve hazard pay because we fly so much we're being exposed to more radiation uh, because of all of this commercial airfare we're doing. So we really should be getting hazard. Like that's the kind of, that's why everybody at DC hates them.
3: Makes sense. I hate them because they are fighting all the time to maintain regime changes. So that was mm. the most stunning thing to me about watching all those hearings where I was just like, Oh my God, like these people are bending over backwards to get, military money when they're not even sure that that's why trump cut it off but like they just have to make sure that regime change sticks and they were just all such true believers and
2: well know. bad bad news about the incoming regime because anthony blinken is like 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 there's, there's there's this kind of weird two-step that happens with uh justin can i co-op this can i go, can i shift over to the no, cabinet go. Thing? love it yeah so, so the, the, the usual apoplexy that the democratic party has when a Republican is in office dissipates as soon as a Democrat that owns a sweater vest is doing the exact same thing. So like, like there's this very bizarre mindset that like, well, as long as the guy went to Harvard and, and like, you know, when he says the right adjectives and the right adverbs, it's like, great. Now, when we bomb the hell out of countries and, and do regime change, now we view it as a very deliberative statesmanlike like. A technocratic process of killing brown people as opposed to whatever the evil Republicans were doing. And the whole thing switches. Uh, Anthony Blinken's going to be an example of this, I think. What I like about Anthony Blinken, he's a multilateralist and an institutionalist, which I, I, I like that general thing, but yay NATO, yay uh, World Trade Organization, I'm, I'm, I'm for all that stuff. However, uh, he's also an interventionist and, and the, the, the phrase that the, the Democrats are going to use the next few years is going to be, uh, you know, America-leading uh, uh, you know uh, uh, engagement in the world um, engagement 's going to be engagement returning is code for the regime change
0: returning right. to the world stage it, engaging with our friends
2: yes and all of what what all of that basically means is we are going we, we believe that the United States has a vested interest in playing kingmaker in other countries and having the military backing abroad to enforce those rules uh, and that we are going to be a predominant force within NATO and these other various alliances we have. And so uh, the, and, and I, I don't think Blinken will represent any, any way, shape, or form of deviation from Bush or Obama, or even really Trump for that matter, because Trump didn't actually decline the amount of forces abroad. He, he pulled back a little bit in the Middle East, but he actually increased it in other places. So we still have more troops than when he came in, and I like like we, we haven't actually had a foreign transition, and, and, and you know since George H W Bush, and it's not going to happen under Blinken.
3: No way. In fact, one of the most disturbing things I found in my Blinken research is that he recently, January twenty eighteen,
2: Francophile? No, yeah. he uh,
3: co-wrote a Washington Post article with Robert Kagan, and like Robert Kagan is the father of invention uh interventionalists and he he's married to victoria victoria newland and just like their whole i have so many quotes here that i'm actually scrolling through them um but he's basically saying stuff like um it was very anti-china too which was concerning like my whole vibe on him is that we're gonna restart the cold war and we're gonna add china to it um you know, as geopolitical competition intensifies, we must supplement diplomacy with deterrence. Words alone Mm -hmm. will not dissuade the Vladimir Putin's and Xi Jinping's of this world. And it's just like, just Mm -hmm. creepy, (laughs) you know, stuff like that where it's like, we have to, um, you know, we have to design the world order because if we don't China will just all that stuff. Like he's out of all the people that have been picked by Biden, he's the one that scares me the most.
0: Well, that's also partly uh, by design that we're not even having these conversations. Like if you look at what Mm -hmm. the Biden talking points are about his cabinet, it's boring and professional. Uh Like, and and it, it really kind of speaks to where we are in terms of the mainstreamization of politics, where I think that in no small part, the election was turned on the idea of I'm tired of hearing about politics. So can I vote for a candidate for whom I don't hear about politics anymore? And now it's bled into the governance element of it as they're not like the Biden administration on really anything has defined exactly what they want to do. They're bringing on people for whom have histories and pasts, and we can guess what their motivations will be. But this is largely just giving the people what they want, which is a, Bland Benadryl. Like, don't worry, folks. The, pe- the people asked for President
2: down. Grandpa to just dispense troughs of yeah. Benadryl to the American and, public, and like which I said, think like the like American said, public like was said, right about.
0: Like you said, uh, uh, Heaton, it's like Blinken is somebody that looks like a Secretary of State as opposed to Rex yep. Tillerson, who looked primarily like somebody who laughs too loud at a steakhouse.
3: Yeah. Well, and then there's <laughs> also like, remember when he, when Trump first nominated Rex Tillerson to be the secretary of state and you're like, yeah. Oh, you mean Exxon Mobil? Like that, that doesn't smell good. Well, Blinken, he is the co-founder of WEX exec advisors with Michelle Flourn, Flournoy. Is that how you say her last name?
2: Eh, let's go with it.
3: But like, this is a business that has been described as helping defense corporations market their products to the Pentagon and other <laughs> agencies.
2: Uh, God bless them. They, you know, the, the defense people are so bad at marketing. They really need all the help they can get. You know, otherwise we just have warehouses full of bobs and bayonets sitting around and nobody to pay for it.
3: Yeah. So when you wonder, like, where has he been since Obama? Like, that's what they've been doing. Yeah. And, and why aren't we talking about that conflict of interest? It's like, oh, it's because he's Grandpa Biden's pick. Like, he's safe. It's fine.
2: Well, and that, I mean, like, and that's the, I mean, you'll see this with all of the Biden picks. Biden is, he, Biden is a temperamental governor. Uh, he, he he governs by temperament. That That's his main thing. Biden's primarily a temperamental character. He's not an ideologue. He he always just, the, the Biden experience is center-left of the country at any given time. He, he occupies the center-left over the Overton window. He doesn't have, and I, and I don't mean this as a slight, like I'm not saying he's feckless. It's just that he is more concerned with, um, you know, where, where the country's at and trying to be competent as opposed to having a, a grand agenda that's, you know, determined by some sort of, of ideological framework. We're going to see this in his uh, cabinet positions where you're, you're I, I don't think you're really going to see anybody that, that stands out as an ideologue and, and less like, Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders sneaks in as, as you know, uh, Secretary of Labor, uh, or something like that. But, but even so far, we haven't really seen him cut any favors like that, which I thought there was gonna be more of like, uh, we might get Rahm Emanuel, who has been floated for five different cabinet positions. He's been floated for Secretary of Transportation. He's been floated. And all—and and this is just like standard wheeling and Lig of like, well, he's buddies. We're all buddies, right? Uh, Merrick Garland might get it, which I think is actually a very temperamental move. Uh, he, he might become Attorney General. And that will be as a, as a nice gesture to the snubbed Merrick Garland because I think, again, Biden's a temperamental guy, um, which I, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Garland strikes me as a nice enough fellow, but I, I think that if they were to put him in, he's very deferential to law enforcement and the executive branch. So I, I, I don't think you'd see a lot of uh, criminal justice for him if, if he were to come in. Uh, but for the other people, I don't like, like, uh, the, the fact that I had to look up everybody that Biden has tapped, with the exception of Janet Yellen and, uh, uh, and, and John Kerry, uh, that, that indicates that these are all establishment technocrat figures who are uh, going to be known primarily for expertise in a given field and kind of within the halls of, of D.C. as opposed to, you know, leading some sort of charge in their own right.
3: Yeah. Well, and he, one of the things that I did kind of like about the picks I saw, like Ron Klain for chief of staff. And then what's the dude's name? Another one you had to look up. Oh, Alejandro. Alejandro. Mallorca. Yes. Thank you. I hate pronouncing words. Um, but both of them were specialists with Ebola and then the, the new DHS guy, he was, he led the DHS response to Zika. So those were very specific. Like we need to get the pandemic under control. Good news. I liked those.
2: Yeah. Good move.
3: Yeah, and I didn't see any like red flags about either of them anyway. In fact, the reason I knew who Ron Klein was is that he's been going on Jessica Yellen's News Not Noise, which she does on Instagram. And he was giving updates about like, if we had an actual government response to COVID, this is what it would look like as the Ebola's are. So when I heard his name, I was like, oh, I've actually seen an interview with him. And he's, he's kind of been one of the people helping me figuring out like what would a good response look for. So that one was mm-hmm. comforting. Um, that's about
2: well, and, 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 and good to know that Biden is tapping people based on fields of expertise rather than just being generally competent and friends with the Obama administration. Uh, uh, so, so- I
1: mean,
0: he's also that. Like I mean, like he was—he was Biden's old chief of staff there, right. um, yeah. Back in the in, in the Obama administration, and there is a lot of friendly face. Look, if Rahm Emanuel is getting another laundering in federal government, uh, <laughs> then Ugh. then you know that this is. I mean, the the thing that r- reminds me the most of—I've said it before—is kind of like when. W came into the White House and then just all of HW's cabinet yeah. just showed up back to work yep. uh, because yeah, they they were the you know, school was back in session it feels a lot like that that yeah. all the Obama people now four years out of taking their, their jobs in Silicon Valley or amongst the, the like DC coterie of attendant industries and lobbying. Now they just kind of all show back up. All the ones that didn't start a podcast, they're back. And I'm sure all the ones that started podcasts will be back in, uh, uh, by the time that it's all shaken
3: out. Yeah. It's not just the Obama administration. I mean, a lot of these people go back to Clinton, Jake Sullivan. Yeah. He started out in Clinton. I mean, there's a lot of that. And then Michelle Flournoy, she hasn't gotten DOD yet, but like, she's reported to be the number one candidate. She came from Clinton. Um, yeah. There's a lot of so
0: things. then let, let me, let me ask you some confirmation questions then, uh, to wrap things up. Is there, uh, uh, the, is the makeup of the Senate or the shrinking gap in the house going to be a, a problem for, for any of these, you know, uh, uh, cabinet confirmations, I guess it's just the Senate, right? It's yeah. Not the, house. the Senate's
3: yeah. the only thing that matters. And like, Really, whether or not these people get confirmed really does come down to what happens in Georgia and just how obstinate the Republicans plan to be. That's a factor too. I mean, one thing that is really different about Joe Biden as opposed to Barack Obama is that Biden was, was in the Senate for a long yes. time, like two hundred and eighty know- years.
2: He knows, yeah, he yeah. knows anybody that's also over a hundred. Yeah,
3: <laughs> he's been there since the beginning of our country.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: exactly. So Why well, I remember when
0: I said, "Listen here, Jack," to Thomas Jefferson. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. So I feel like this could be a different dynamic, and I do see some of these picks being so moderate, maybe to appease the people in the Senate, like, maybe it won't be complete, you know, obstinate behavior like it was during the Obama administration, because they were pissed off that there was this new kid that came out of nowhere. You know, it was, it was, I, I and, and there's, there's just,
2: there's, there's increasing incentives for members of the Senate to, Play to their base rather than do their job. So, like if if I'm if I if I'm a Republican senator right now, I know that I am gonna get more applause campaign donations and love by making a principled stand against every single Democratic appointee, as opposed to if I go, yeah, sorry guys, we lost the election. Uh, elections have consequences. It's my job to vet this person based on whether they're corrupt and competent. I disagree with this pick, but they are they are competent. There's no outward corruption that we can detect, so I'm going to vote for them. I'm not going to get any points for that. Uh, and so, I think you will see a bunch of Republicans do that, just in general, regardless. Like, Marco Rubio is already signaling opposition to multiple people. Um, you'll, the, kind of the frothy red meat ones are going to do it. Lindsey Graham, I think you'll probably we see Lindsey Graham like everybody because uh, he's, he's buddies with Biden and Lindsey Graham's uh, modus operandi is just to remain as relevant as possible. Uh, so L- L- Lindsey Graham will reorient himself to the incoming administration and become very bipartisan.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do think that if anybody is going to make deals in the Senate, make deals with cocaine Mitch, it's going to be Biden for that reason because Joe Biden, I don't think anything in Obama's two terms would have gotten done legislatively, if Joe Biden wasn't there. He, by all uh, uh, reporting and accounts, was the only person that was actively trying to, you know, put out fires that Obama, as an executive, was not particularly well-suited for that kind of, like, how the sausages made Uh, deal-making. Biden was. So I assume there will be some uh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, uh, uh, old-school D.C. uh, deal-making. The question then becomes, does Biden face a, a backlash on the left? Mm-hmm. Do, does Mitch McConnell face backlash on the right? Or is Mitch McConnell now in a, in a position where he can make deals because he just uh, appointed a galaxy worth of federal judges and got three Supreme Court justices on the bench, and now his bona fides are kind of solid forever because of uh, the run he had through the Obama and Trump administrations.
3: I think we just have to see how much have the Republicans become the party of Trump. Like how much is it just going to be, yeah. we cater our base and that's it. So it's like, you know, Andrew, I think you're, you're probably more in the right here. Like if I had to look at whose crystal ball I have more faith in, it's probably yours.
2: My, um, my sad, angry, pessimistic, outsider, like, well, yes. exiled moderate position, I agree. <laughs>
3: well, I mean, you said, like, you know, elections have consequences, but what I've learned is that, no, they don't. We keep mm. electing these people over and over again, so they don't fear us. It's all about the donors at this point. I mean, even collecting yeah. the money seems like they don't even need to do it anymore. Um, but that's what they do all day. They go across the street from the Capitol, and they dial for dollars, and, like, that's become their job is just running for re-election, And as long as we keep rewarding that with electing them over and over again, I don't see the incentive for them to, you know, make a deal with the other party that they have to brand as the enemy in order to raise yeah. campaign donations.
2: I think you're right about that. Like I, I would, I would be very much in favor of campaign finance reform within the Senate and within Congress. Uh, in in that, right now, you you gain. I think, you, you, Jen, you would know better than me. I think Republicans, at least for a while, uh, chairmanships were based on on seniority. Uh, and then I think they changed that. And and now I believe both parties, like, you know, that the speaker or the majority floor leader appoint the the chairs of the various uh, committees and they do it based on how much money you're raising, um, which is why, like, Nancy Pelosi's speaker, because she's an absolute star at raising money. And, like, you better be raising money. And, like, so if you were to make it, which you could do without without any without any legislation, you wouldn't have to pass this. This would be internal things. The, how, the House governs itself. The Senate governs itself. Either one is completely capable of doing this without having the president involved or the other House. They could just pass laws saying, uh, committees can't be based on on raising money. You, we're we're going to make a firewall between that. Where we like, what I would do is just go have a, appoint people to the committee and have them elect their own chair. Done. As opposed well, to now, where it's passed out.
3: And this brings us back to the idea of the progressives in the House doing absolutely nothing to challenge Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Even if they didn't want to actually overthrow her, that was their leverage to yeah. get something like that in the House rules, and they just didn't do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I. I I I just I have no idea what is like for my my focus on all this is usually strategy based like because that's how I, I determine did you do a good job or a bad job based on what you were setting out to do either by legislation or getting elected or raising money whatever what was your goal how much did you achieve of it and I have a hard time understanding on the the democratic side or even the 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 warring factions within what are the goals like what do you guys want to do because i now know as an opposition party the the republicans are going to be some version of block it like and maybe they'll be a little bit more permissive and we'll get the cabinet uh, appointed but no legislative thing will happen or or it'll be so watered down that it really won't mean anything which that is my guess with with biden but on on the on the left like what are we going for? Is there a roadmap to any of these uh, policy things that were popular during the, 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 the primaries or or the general? Or is it just like, let's continue to not do anything on COVID and just hope that COVID gets better.
2: You you will see a blizzard of executive orders undoing all of the blizzards of executive orders from the Trump administration. And you will see yeah. more and more extra congressional governance through executive orders and an increasing role of the federal branch at the discretion of whoever the president is at that moment.
0: Yep. Well, that's the place we're going to end it. (laughs) Jen Briney, Congressional Dish Podcast, Andrew Eaton, The Political Orphanage. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you.
3: Thanks.
0: Oh, what a pleasure. Oh, they were so good. I love them. I love them both. We're going to have them back on, or I'm going to come on Political Orphanage or Congressional Dish is going to do something. I don't know. We're going to figure it out. There's more of the three of us. We've all agreed there's more of the three of us uh, to come. Now. Uh, A real quick update to two of the races that Briney was talking about. Number one, in CA25, the Republican has won. Close race, only 303 votes, but the Democrat, uh, Christy Smith, has conceded to Mike Garcia. That, of course, was uh, the seat vacated by... Katie Hill in that revenge-born Thrupple scandal. Meanwhile, in New York 22, Chenango County, that race just had a, a turn of events. Indeed, in the last uh, like hour or so, the New York Board of Elections has discovered 55 early voting ballots that had previously not been laid eyes on the race between these two candidates is separated by 12 votes and right now the Republican leads so keep an eye on that one also keep an eye on our Titanic $10 tier they are I love you, TNT. Dr. G, The Jed, Kathy Mack, Headphones Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, Jay Sulu, Dallas Danger Taylor, Middle Aged Mike. What happened to Tex? Get a bucket and a mop. Cujo, Idris, Jacob, Wilson, Berkeley, Steven, JustinEgan.com, Junkie, Jason, Katie, Rob. Uh, Martin, Alec, Government Unfiltered, Andres, Archie, Darren, Adam, Jacob, Olin, and Angela, DL, Kyle, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious, nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, Ed the Goose, just another pilot, Frozen, Summers, J Pink, Andrew, and James, If you would like to join their ranks, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Remember, that $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. It's a fun time. Head on over there now. You want to join our newsletter? You head on over to FreepoliticalNewsletter.com. Sign up for free. It's going to give you an option to subscribe. If you feel that it is worth money, then subscribe. But it is uh, free for you. And that's it till next time this is your old pal justin robert young at justin r young on twitter the show's account is at px3 tweets reminder that some shows talk about politics others talk about politics and still more talk about politics but this is the only show that dares talk about three.